Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 5, Issue 235. You can play along with us as we rattle continuing through Volume 5 of the podcast, our fifth year. Uh, next up, we have Kickoff, Player Manager, Kickoff 2, and probably something about uh, Dino Dini's goal and Kickoff 3 as well. After that, it's Outrun, which is going to focus mainly on the original Outrun. After that, it's Grand Theft Auto 5 and its online component, GTA Online. Then we return to The Legend of Zelda with the Minish Cap. And in five podcasts' time, we'll be covering Swery's D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die. Well, such as it is. Anyway, one episode of it, I guess, because I think there was supposed to be more. Anyway, no doubt we'll cover all that. As I always tell you, do remember to pop over to canarince.com where you can find uh, all the podcasts as well as articles and the occasional review and some features and links to our friendly forum where our community resides mainly. But also we have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel that you can get through there or you can subscribe to those like those separately. And if you're enjoying what we do, what we uh, put out there for you, two podcasts a week for most weeks of the year, that's including our other podcast, Sound of Play, which is our music podcast every Wednesday, uh, you can support us. We have a Patreon account uh, where you can pledge a dollar a month or whatever you feel like or just a one-off payment uh, which contributes to our ongoing efforts and is incredibly gratefully received uh, if you would prefer to get something for your money or any money you care to put our way you can buy a t-shirt or a bag at, pay, uh, at sorry at spreadsheet .co.uk. That's the one. There's a store there. You'll find T-shirts and bags uh, with our excellent logos on. And each purchase nets us like £2 or thereabouts, which is also very handy. Plus, you'll be wearing our logo. As I said, please check out Sound of Play. It's our other podcast and it's uh, it's done with the same level of passion and we hope professionalism as this one. Uh, nine pieces of music or thereabouts every Wednesday with uh, normally myself and Ryan alternating as hosts. But whatever you do, if nothing else, please subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And if you can, uh, rate and even write a review of them would be excellent uh, on whatever format you can or just tell people on social media or in real life. All that's good, too. So joining me, Leon Blue Link Cox in issue 235 are Joshua Purple Link Garrity. Hello there. Ryan Red Link Heyman. Hello. And Sean Green Link O'Brien. Hello, hello. Green because it's Irish. I just get it. That's uh, yeah. Actually, I didn't give it that much thought. Yeah. Um, Josh just seemed kind of purpley, and uh, I've gone blue because it's the colour of my football team. There you go. Yeah. And that left red and green, and you know, there's no more to the characters in Four Swords than that, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're links, you know. Uh, so I think the first thing we need to talk about on this podcast. Uh, I've thought long and hard about this. I, I don't feel entirely as well prepared or mm. uh, well refreshed on Four Swords as I do with a lot of our games. Obviously, I've done my reading and I know about the game going all the way back, but there are barriers to entry both then and now. Mm. And I've been wondering whether we should have saved Four Swords and rolled it all into a Triforce Heroes podcast later in the series or uh, whether we should have done it at all. Uh, but hopefully, um, 
listeners, you will understand, even if this isn't our most uh, caned and rinsed podcast game ever, uh, you'll understand why and uh, and hopefully we'll come up with an interesting show nonetheless. And hopefully our experiences will reflect some of yours. And I think according to our correspondence, it will. Um, so the thing is, uh, so my history with the game is uh, I didn't have the Link to the Past Game Boy Advance cartridge, which had the original four swords on. And even if I had, I only had one friend with... Uh, no, I had two or three friends, I tell a lie, with a Game Boy Advance. So in theory, I could have got all three of those friends together and got my... I did have a link cable, from uh, which I only ever used for one session of Advance Wars, I think it was. So in theory, I could have got all those friends together. We could have sat for the five hours or so it takes to complete it. Um, but realistically, those friends didn't always you know, have much to, to do with each other socially. And we were all in our, uh, how are we, late 20s when this came out. And so although we, you know, we sat down and played games quite a bit, we wouldn't necessarily have got into a situation where we were going to link up our GBAs and play Four Swords. Um, And I think you needed four cartridges as well. So that would have persuaded them to buy them uh, or, or, or would have meant me buying them and then persuading everyone to play. So you can already see the issues here. That game didn't have any single player uh content whatsoever it was purely uh two to four players so um a couple of years later as we'll discuss four swords adventures came along which is uh, pretty much a completely separate game but carries the four swords name and continues the four colored links going on a quest thing now this one i bought day one i played it through to completion in two player over several sessions over the course of a month or three i can't remember exactly how long maybe longer actually um and I'll talk about my experiences with that. So my intention was to play the Four Swords Anniversary Edition, which, as we'll discuss, was released for originally for DSiWare uh, in 2011. And uh, that I downloaded that at the time onto my DSi. I didn't have a 3DS at that point. Um, it was subsequently re-released for a couple of weeks uh, in 2014, but only in North America. It was free both times, I believe. Um, now, there probably are ways uh, you can play this on emulation. You may hear from uh, some of our panel, in fact. But uh, my intention was to go back to this, to my downloaded version that would have been transferred across from my DSi to my original 3DS, to my Fire Emblem Awakening 3, uh, 3DS XL, to my uh, Majora's Mask N3DS XL. Uh, unfortunately it doesn't work you can't do that um there's an item showing in my download history which is unknown item and <laughs> you can't do that thing that you can do on xbox 360 which is e even if a game has long since been uh, also psn uh, where games have long since been removed mm -hmm. from the marketplace for whatever reason you can still download them because you bought them um i guess because this was never paid for as far as i know it was always free uh, Nintendo effectively have taken away the ability to download it from me, even though I downloaded it in the past. So, yeah, that's it. That's where I am with this game. I've not played the original Four Swords for more than a little bit, a little few minutes that I when I first downloaded it. But my 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 role here is as host and as somebody who completed Four Swords Adventures. Ha. Anyway, Sean, how about you? How mm. did you go about this? 
well, much like the last two Zelda epi- uh, podcasts that I was on, I think there was Leaks and Awakening and the Oracle episodes, uh, I hadn't heard of this game until we signed up for them. My only familiarity with uh, the GameCube Zelda games are, is just Wind Waker. So uh, this was my first time playing it. I had never played the original Four Swords because uh, I never even had a uh, Game Boy Advance. I think I mentioned this on the Killer7 episode, but I do have a GameCube, and my controller is still busted, and it's just, it's, and it's not the easiest game to find in a store either, so I did no. have to play it um, through emulation, because uh, otherwise, if I would have bought it on eBay, like, what's the, what's really the difference? You know, the developers aren't getting the money anyway, so. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I played it through on emulation over the last uh, three weeks. Four Swords Adventures. Four Swords Adventures, that is, yes, sorry. On Dolphin? Yes, on Dolphin. Emulator? Yeah. Okay, uh, and just solo. Right, correct, yes. So, yeah, totally the non-optimal experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay. Uh, Ryan, how about you? I played Four Swords, um, the anniversary edition on my new 3DS, actually. Uh, so I, I was able to Great. transfer that one over. Um, oh. Yep, so I played that single player in its entirety, including the extra stages at the end. Much like Sean, I played the Four Swords Adventures on uh, Dolphin Emulation, uh, also single player. And uh, yeah, that's both of those then. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, I don't know why it didn't work for me then, but yeah, there was, there was no way of re-downloading it that I could that I, could I think that's it. one where the DSiWare uh, software in, mm. in specific, you have to like transfer via your computer, back it up on your computer, and then transfer that onto the other mini SD card. Extra step. Ah, uh, yes. Now, I think I did that on the previous uh, console, uh, but I don't think I did it when I transferred from 3DS to new 3DS. It'd so be nice if would... they didn't um, change to yeah. a mini SD so that you can just swap them in and out. But unfortunately, the uh, transition to the newer model meant a different Actually, mode of memory. All my other DSiWare is on there. So I did. Hmm, so okay. I, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah. Well, that's a pity. And Josh? So before the show was scheduled, I, I knew of um, Four Swords' existence, um, but that's about it. Um, I knew the basic concept, it, you know, it being a multiplayer Zelda rather than a single-player Zelda. But apart from that, I knew pretty much nothing about the uh, about these games. Um, in fact, I knew so little that um, until I started doing research for the the show, I was convinced that Four Swords Adventures was a remake of the original Four Swords and not, you know, a separate game. Which that's what it is. Um, so yeah, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to play the original Four Swords, but I have played and completed uh, Four Swords Adventures uh, via Dolphin. And uh, I I tried to play it uh, multiplayer with my girlfriend, Kat. Okay. Um, but I just couldn't get it to work um, mm. via Dolphin. I know people have managed it via emulation because I've seen playthroughs where they've got... They're using the widescreen because mm. obviously the original game mm. was just four, four to three. And... I've seen a four-player playthrough on YouTube where they've got emulation of GBAs in all four corners of the screen, yeah. so you can yeah. go onto the GBA screen and then and then play the the GameCube portion of the game in the, in the center. Um, but it looked complicated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was prepared to um, do that level of fiddling, but I think my um, girlfriend Cat was getting a bit impatient with it, <laughs> so I, I decided yeah. to just. Um, 
uh, press on solo. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've played this on Dolphin solo. So, uh, so Ryan is going to be our one and only uh, <laughs> original Four Swords mm. expert right. here, um, and this is, you know, th- this is already uh, illustrating the the sort of some of the issues of playing this game now. Um, but also uh, we're going to talk about some of the barriers of playing it then and how, how this game has kind of become synonymous with barriers when actually, you know, I don't know what, I don't know about what you, you chaps think, but I don't know whether the optimum is to do this podcast, which realistically reflects many people's experience or whether if we'd been able somehow, obviously two of us are in America, two of us are in England, mm-hmm. um, the Patreon do- donations are gratefully received, but for four of us to give up our jobs for a while and fly to each other's countries <laughs> to sit and play this um, sort of 15-hour uh, game all locally together with mm. with all the hardware, it would have been absolutely magic, like in an ideal world. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I would have loved us. Like the, the four, It would have worked so perfectly. Yeah. Four panellists on the podcast, four players playing through Four Swords Adventures together and Four yeah. Swords, both games, one after the other. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been absolutely superb and it would have given us a very different, I suspect, yeah. um, feeling towards these games. Sadly, apologies, listeners, that just wasn't practical. Even, to be honest, even the thought of trying to get it together for us to all play via emulation online would have been extremely challenging. It's been challenging enough for us to get together for two hours to record this podcast. (laughs) Um, We're doing it late, both late before a release and late in the day uh, UK time. So... Uh, anyway, you, you know, this this is not your problem, listeners. I hope, as I say, I hope this will be an interesting show nonetheless. A couple of correspondence on the subject of the barriers to entry and the hurdles that you had to jump through to play this game, even back in the day. I'm starting with uh, regular correspondent Flabio, who says, I remember it took a lot of faff to get four players together to play the GBA one. All those carts and multiplayer cables and finding a space lit well enough for all four players to be able to see their screens and yet be close enough Mm. to each other for the link cable to reach. I dug my original GBA out of storage the other day. I have no idea how I ever played games on it. The screen is impossible to see unless you're holding it right under a lamp. So this speaks to my early experiences with this. Um, My first GBA was was an SP, the clamshell with a front light. Um, They did a backlit version later, which is much nicer. And obviously the GBA Micro has a backlight, but it doesn't have, you can't hook these cables into it, I don't think, the the link-up cables. Um, So I was playing Four Swords Adventures with my friend Pete, and he had a launch GBA, one of the purple ones, with no uh, lighting on the screen whatsoever. So we're both hooked to the GameCube via those purple cables that you got free with the game. I ended up with dozens of these for various uh, things. I think you got one with um, Animal Crossing or whatever one with final fantasy crystal chronicles so i ended up with i think like four or five of my own of these link cables um but yeah he couldn't see his screen the the original gba screen is almost illegible if that's the <laughs> right word it's 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 completely it's unlit it hmm. beggars belief when you look at it now how people struggled to to actually use that thing um i mean you i don't i don't know if any of you've tried playing uh, a 3ds outdoors even with the bat- brightness turned up mm-hmm. to maximum it can be very hard to see yeah 
Um, you need some, even an iPhone, yes. you know, taking, taking a photo on an iPhone using the viewer in the brightest of sunlight, yeah. <laughs> even with that screen, which is, you know, brighter than the sun. It's hard to see. So, yeah, yeah this, was, this was crazy. Pete uh, bought, bought himself this little reading lamp, which was like a clip-on thing. He used to clip it onto the, the radiator behind him and have it over his wow. shoulder. Uh, but obviously any movement, you know, meant that it was it was harder for him to 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 actually see the bits when you go on and off the screen, uh, and this is why. And this will be the first time of many I mention this. Uh, how a, a Wii U version of this would have worked so magnificently with yeah. online, and how I'm really hopeful that there'll be an NX kind of HD remake um, mm. because you've then you have online and the separate screens. But this was nonetheless interesting that this was Nintendo starting to dabble with the basically with dual screen technology. Gaio Pinto also says on this, I've always had a certain level of resentment towards the Four Swords games. My first time playing Link to the Past was the GBA port, so I've owned the original Four Swords for 14 years. In those 14 years, I've never played it because I've never found someone else who both owned the cartridge and was interested in playing through it together. Zelda is my favourite franchise of all time and I've played and beaten every single game in the franchise except for the Four Swords games and the newly released Triforce Heroes. I've had a blast replaying Zelda games along with the podcast and sending in my correspondence, so it's all a bit depressing for me that I feel locked out of the multiplayer Zelda games. As someone with completionist tendencies, I don't like having gaps in my favourite video game series. I went back and played Zelda 2 to completion, for God's sake. I understand that some of this was avoidable. I was so annoyed at not being able to play the original Four Swords that when I heard of Four Swords Adventures, I assumed I wouldn't be able to play it and didn't look into it any further. This podcast led me to read up a bit on the game and I now realise it is possible to play solo. I love Zelda and in a perfect world where I had access to the Four Swords games, I imagine I would have enjoyed playing them. Had they been co-op missions in a mainline Zelda game, I also would have been perfectly content. But instead, I feel like I'm missing out and that's a frustrating place to be. You know, on that point, I think that a lot of the communication surrounding this game, which is what Gaio is getting at, was really poorly managed. It wasn't made abundantly clear to me, and maybe this was more kind of like well communicated contemporaneously, that Four Swords Adventures wasn't a remake of Four Swords. Like I, I wasn't clear which of these versions of these various games you can play with one person and which yeah. ones you need because, you know, it's it's different from game to game. And, you know, all of this can be forgiven as like, okay, they were still trying to kind of get their heads around how to market something like this back then. But to see these same kinds of problems happening with uh, Triforce Heroes, like just trying to Google, like, can I play Triforce Heroes by myself? Like I get all sorts of conflicting reports (laughs) saying that like, well, you can play it, but you can't beat it or you can beat it, but you can't 100% it. And it's just really difficult to get a straight answer. Like even Mm -hmm. today, so many years later, because it's the most recent Zelda release uh, as it stands, we still haven't actually scheduled in a Triforce Heroes show. Um, so we may that may be the one we end up skipping, depending on how this goes down and, and what the answer to those questions is. Uh, we might just uh, squeeze it into uh, in, into something else, but we'll we'll see. Um, and actually, you know, to to be clear to listeners, the answer here is that we're covering three games effectively: Four Swords, Four Swords Anniversary Edition. And Four Swords Adventures. Now, only one of those is not playable by one player, and that's the original Game Boy Advance Four Swords. That is mm-hmm. absolutely multiplayer only. But Four Swords Adventures and Anniversary Edition can both be played 
by single player. Whether you'd want to do it that way or not is perhaps another matter, but but you can, mm-hmm. albeit in uh, in a way that means that you're still controlling more than one link. Mm-hmm. Is that true in both Four Swords and Adventures? It's certainly true in Adventures. In Four Swords uh, Anniversary, playing single player, you control two links that you switch between. Two. Okay, interesting. Right. So uh, let's talk about the making of. So um, Four Swords was uh, produced mainly by uh, Capcom, similar team to the uh, Oracle games and ahead of the Minish Cap uh, games. So the director is uh, Hidemaro Fujibayashi, who, as we know, has uh, been the main man on uh, Skyward Sword and is the main man on Breath of the Wild, directing both of those games, as well as Minish Cap. The main artist on the game is one of uh, is is a Capcom stalwart Haruki Suetsugu, uh, also known as Sensei, uh, best known for his Mega Man Legends and Mega Man X uh, sprite work. Hmm. And the music also is Yuko Takahara, who is one of Capcom's uh, sort of prime composers. Uh, she worked on a whole host of famous Capcom stuff, including. Uh, lots of their many beloved um, fighting games from the 90s, but also things like Aladdin on the Super Nintendo, uh, Street Fighter Zero, Super Puzzle Fighter and stuff like that. So this is very much, although uh, Fujibashi is now very much part of uh, Nintendo, this was very much a Capcom product who um, obviously, we, as we know, they'd already handled the Oracle games and this was them continuing that relationship and making uh finally remaking Link to the Past for the Game Boy Advance. It came out in December 2002 in North America and March 2003 in both Japan and Europe. And as I say, that anniversary edition, which was initially DSiWare, but but was also re-released on the eShop for 3DS uh, in 2011 and 2014. Uh, The 2011 release was uh, presumably to time with the 25th anniversary, and now we are in the 30th anniversary year, so maybe they'll make it available again. Uh, And the 2014 release was uh, apparently to time with the release of A Link Between Worlds. So the anniversary version was developed by Grezzo, who we know um, handled the 3D, 3DS ports of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. So uh, as we said, that includes a single-player mode, which didn't the original didn't have, but it also has a couple of new areas. The Realm of Memories, uh, which has levels resembling uh, Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, and a tougher section for expert players called the Hero's Trial. Of course, uh, the huge advantage is cable-free co-op, although it's still local only, isn't it, uh, anniversary, but you could get uh, friends together with 3DSs. Uh, I don't I don't know if you needed multiple downloads, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway because it was free if you could actually get it mm-hmm. from the uh, from the store. Um, but yes, uh, either way, the game takes about uh, four to five hours to to beat. Um, but there are three playthroughs. If you want to see everything, you need to play it through three times to complete the lot. Uh, it wasn't originally planned as uh, as the first of a of a little mini series. It was just a, a one off multiplayer experiment. Uh, and also the story was intended to be the earliest in the series chronology at the time of release. But I think that's that's changed. Four Swords Adventures actually takes place a long time after um, Four Swords. And I guess Skyward Sword takes place before anything else because it's set in 
the very earliest times. Anyway, Hyrule Historia is your friend for that. So uh, in the original Four Swords, you're pretty much just dealing with the antagonist Vati, who uh, will return in Minish Cap. And the story goes that Link is kind of Link starts as Link, but is copied three times, cloned by uh, by this Four Sword, uh, and turns into four characters. And you have to go through in your co-op way or solo on the anniversary edition through a series of sort of puzzly dungeons. So, Ryan, it's over to you. Yes. Uh, Four Swords or Anniversary Edition in your case. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what happens? What's it like? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, actually, it's a fairly manageable size package, uh, which I think is actually really nice because as a kind of multiplayer only thing, at least in its original design, it makes sense to have something a little bit more bite sized that you and your friends can just sit down and each level isn't too long. It's not too taxing. It's a really kind of like smooth course all the way through, but it still remains pretty satisfying to beat. I think the main game itself is just kind of like a solid little bit of like Zelda dungeonry uh, with some really nice, um, like they include the magnetic gloves from the Oracle of Ages or Mm. Seasons, whichever one had that, which is cool to see that back again. Um, The art style is reminiscent of Minish Cap rather than the Link's Awakening, which the uh, um, GameCube version is modeled after. Um, Although the, I guess, post-credits levels, the, what what was it? The Tomb of Memories or something? uh, Those levels are, I think, the highlight of the package. I had the most fun with those. And maybe it's just because it kind of brought back the memories of... uh, Nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there are some portions that are directly modeled after very specific areas in those previous Zelda games, which I think are are really kind of magical and fun. Um, And then there are some that are just slightly remixed uh, to uh, to fit with the new game that they're trying to build. They kind of reminded me, and maybe this is because I've been, you know, playing a lot of Lego Dimensions lately, but they, uh, these remixed levels reminded me of like the Lego games in a way. It's like you're seeing the content. It's like telling a story that you've been through previously, but they're just adding a few new little co-op puzzles and a few little, you know, extra diversions around um, kind of along the way. And it's a nice little, little tribute the anniversary edition, which is the one that I played, is entirely playable single player. Um, it mm. it controls you control two links, which is a little weird uh, since it is the four swords. I wonder if that's due to I guess like memory issues, maybe, or maybe it's just to keep the smaller screen a little bit less populated. But um, yeah, I, I think it overall works pretty well. I found it to be a satisfying package, and it's a uh, Took it takes maybe like two or three plays to get through the entire thing, including the extra levels, and so it's really not that much of an ask. Um, it's just kind of a little pleasant game. So, did you feel that you were missing out by playing it solo? For instance, I know one of the sort of key things about the Four Swords games is mm-hmm. that it's kind of a rupee um, high score challenge between yeah. you and the other links, isn't it? That's that's part of the fun. Is there's this kind of almost yeah, I don't know if score rush is the right thing, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of fun. Um, in Four Swords Adventures, racing, racing around the screen, hoovering up uh, rupees against against my powers. It reminded me 
when when we we play the Oracle games, there's the 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 bit with Maple where where she spills your stuff everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. and the Four Swords uh, Adventures screen would get absolutely littered with rupees, and uh, and that was that was a lot of fun. It's that famous item scramble, you know, thinking about you know old co-op games like Gauntlet and stuff like that. You you're co-oping most of the time until such time as it serves you to be competitive that kind of thing so mm-hmm. was there enough was there enough substance to the to the puzzling and and the the general zelda gameplay to to make you not miss the fact that you weren't playing with three others yeah i never really uh, i never felt like i was at a disadvantage for only having one player split between two links um, it does one thing differently, quite a bit differently than Four Swords Adventures, and that is that each link can hold a different item, uh, which can be useful, but it can also kind of complicate the decisions as to like what combinations of items you're holding. Because some of them don't necessarily, like they don't play off of each other directly, but they can have um, kind of cumulative effects if used in succession. Mm. And so it uh, it makes a difference as to like what you choose to bring with you. Um, but most of the time, there's a lot of puzzles of uh, the links moving each other around in various ways, throwing each other over pits or using the magnetic gloves from the other side of a wall to kind of like carry you across a, a, over a pit or something like that. And in those instances, that kind of felt like it was uh, properly tuned to be a single player game, um, especially since it's so easy to kind of switch between the links and uh um so i never felt like i was missing anything the only thing that really stood out was the kind of rupee chasing nature of it there's a lot of rupees to pick up throughout the game and i don't think you can spend them at any point which doesn't necessarily ruin the experience like it is kind of nice to just have some little bit of something flying off that signifies that it just makes chopping down bushes more fun. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. It's, uh, it is weird that there is no real economy to back that up. And so I'd imagine that goes into some sort of a... Right. Well, there, there is an overarching mm-hmm. thing which we'll come to, but it is really for the you know bragging rights at the end of the level. Oh, okay, I see. So it's, so it's split into uh, is it four main levels and there's an element... I don't know if you'd have been that aware of this because mm-hmm. you played it through once solo, but mm-hmm. the, the dungeons are kind of remixed or shuffled or procedurally mm-hmm. generated in some way from elements to make, to make the experience slightly different each time. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so you uh, you wouldn't have been that aware of that because you played it through once, presumably. It does have a very distinct feeling of being like contained to specific areas. Like you'll lock the door behind you and then have the next little leg of the dungeon to explore and figure out the puzzles there, and then you'll lock the door behind you. So it, there's nothing quite as clever as you know a link to the past like entire dungeon puzzles. But uh, so it, it would be relatively easy to remix in the same way that they do the uh um chalice dungeons in bloodborne or something and how about the bosses because uh in four swords adventures they were very much designed around um multiple links Mm -hmm. again like i i've i always felt playing through four swords adventures uh that me and my friend had a good time playing it we were both as into it as each other and that was Mm -hmm. really important we enjoy co-op gaming and we enjoy zelda but uh there were points where we were aware that four players would have possibly been twice as much fun 
um, especially you know the the bosses designed around where you know one of you will be distracting it from the front, where mm, the other mm-hmm. one will be shooting it with arrows from the side, and um, and all that sort of thing. So again, was that sort of was that apparent, or did it feel more just like traditional Zelda bosses that you could uh, tackle in in your own way? The only things that I can really think of are um, certain bosses require they be hit in uh, by specific links and so you'd have to switch between the two of those and um, sometimes they require multiple items and so you'd have to equip both of your links with the appropriate items but um, yeah for the most part like I was very easily able to there was no point in this game that I felt challenged really um it was all yeah. a very kind of nice it sat on a nice place in the difficulty curve so again i think the what we we should acknowledge is and we can only speculate but based on our years and years of experiencing other video games um obviously the the concept would have been that the one of you who was that particular color link would be called into action mm-hmm. in real life by his pals mm-hmm. uh saying you know Purple Link, now's your, mm-hmm. you know, now's your moment. Get in there and mm-hmm. hit it in the face. And, you know, all the, the banter and fun that would go with that. Um, and, yeah, so obviously playing this solo, as much as I'm incredibly... Uh, I think it's great that they re-released this with a solo option, mm-hmm. um, albeit I don't think it's so great that they only released it for weeks at a time and then took it off the <laughs> <Yeah>. marketplace. <laughs> um and obviously, you know, yes, you can emulate it, and there are there are ways you can get to it. But, um, but I still, I think one of the the reasons that I was never, you know, highly motivated to play through it was I was kind of always holding out for that opportunity where somehow, whether it be a, a games event or a lot, you know, some kind of live thing, I would hook up with three other people who just happened to have it downloaded mm. onto their mm. their their DS, 3DS, and and we could play um we could play wirelessly through the air because uh, you know the the cliche goes co-op makes any any right. game better yeah. and i don't know if that's always true i think there are some games which i love the the isolation the the, mm-hmm. the solitary aspect but a game that is where it's level design it's puzzle design it's dungeon design is so much around the idea of there being four of you preferably you know if not at a pinch three or two um playing it solo yeah but grezzo it sounds like because you you sound you know generally positive mm-hmm. on it it sounds like whatever grezzo did to make it accessible for one player also for you mm-hmm. made it a you know a fun time a game worth playing yeah there's a couple little sloppy areas like you can uh, um in a couple points if you choose the wrong items and uh just like in four swords adventures you can call the other link to you and so you know wherever he was at the time he just kind of like rejoins the party uh, which can be useful for crossing gaps Mm. and stuff like that but you can uh, kind of lock yourself into an area of no return where the other item that you need to progress is where the other link should have been and so you were supposed to grab it before Uh, and and so just a couple little tiny things like that that make us think like that's usually kind of a sign of not great like QA or testing or something but um, other than that Uh uh, kind of another curiosity about the game that I should mention is that it has a very sizable training area um, and it's all optional but there are rooms uh, kind of training areas uh, rooms that are I, I shouldn't say rooms they're almost like little micro dungeons 
for each of the items that'll teach you how to use them, even though a lot of them are pretty straightforward, especially if you've played previous Zelda games. But um, I'd say that the tutorial for this game, uh, which you can skip, and I only played about half of, is about as long as the rest of the main game. Mm. Mm. Pertaining to that, um, well, the economy aspect and mm-hmm. the sort of, you know it's the 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 extra uh, replay value and depth. Um, so so it goes that the first time uh, through, you'd need to collect uh, at least one thousand rupees per stage to get silver keys to open the path mm. to the palace. Then, if you play through again, everything's a little bit harder. Um, and if you've got the silver keys that you got for the thousand rupees. Uh, you can go for 3,000 rupees per level in order to get gold keys. And then for the final playthrough, if you've got gold keys and then 5,000 rupees per stage, uh, you get hero's keys. And then instead of the single final boss fight, you get a boss rush, a four boss rush. Now, beyond that, I don't know what you get. I don't know whether you get a better ending or something or whether it's just mm. just purely to say that you did it. But... That's quite a lot of extra stuff. So I guess my question to you, Ryan, is if we were all now sitting in the same room and we all had this piece of software downloaded to our handy nearby 3DSs, would you be keen for us all to, you know, fire it up and play co-op together? I wouldn't mind assisting somebody who wants to discover this for the first time themselves, but I don't really (laughs) have a lot of reason to go back to it a a second or third time uh, for my own personal enjoyment. But yeah, I'd be happy to, to walk somebody else through it. All right. Well, we'll hear your uh, your summation later on. Um, but as only one of us has played that, we'll move on to the one we've all played in some mm-hmm. way or form mm-hmm. or other. And that is uh, Zelda no Densetsu Yotsu no Tsurugi. I think it's also known as uh, Four Swords Plus. Maybe that's what that means. I'm not sure. Anyway, Four Swords Adventures. This came out in March 2004 in Japan. Uh, summer 2004 in North America and uh, true to form, even though apparently the translation and the Powell work was finished um, by the end of the year. It was held back deliberately in the EU and Australia to avoid um, trampling on the sales of Minish Cap, I believe. Something like that is is the speculation anyway. Uh, so this is by a completely different team. Uh, this is by Nintendo EAD group number three. And uh, Miyamoto is a producer on it, as is uh, Eiji Aonuma, uh, although Hidemar Fujibayashi is still the director. So when I say completely different team, it's not completely different team. But <laughs> I guess this is where I guess this is where Fujibayashi moved, if, you know, mm. officially from Capcom's auspices to Nintendo's. Uh, and uh, as well as uh, featuring a lot of Koji Kondo's music mm-hmm. uh, from Link to the Past, including some uh, sort of remixes or rearrangements, this also has um, some music from Asuka Hayazaki, who is, uh, this was her first project for Nintendo, but since then she's worked on Yoshi's Touch and Go um, on the, the uh, that DS launch game, Animal Crossing, New Super Mario Brothers, Wii Fit, Nintendogs and Cats, Pikmin, Pikmin 3 that is. Uh, and so she's become one of the, the, the main composers mm-hmm. in, in-house at Nintendo. Uh, and uh, yeah, this was her, this was her first. Uh, I'm 
off the top of my head, I can't remember the bits of music that weren't from Link to the Past, but <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, but I remember enjoying the soundtrack. It's <laughs> shocking to me. I, I had no idea that there was any original music in here, to be totally right. honest. Like, I don't mean Maybe any offense she, to her, but no, I just, sure. there's so much. I mean, it also speaks so much to the soundtrack of Link to the Past, though, how memorable oh, that soundtrack yeah. is, so... Maybe yeah. it's, maybe she yeah. maybe she did the arrangements um, yeah, yeah. rather than composed mm-hmm. fresh music. Um, but I'll seek out the OST. Um, we might use might well use some for this mm-hmm. uh, for the intro and outro of this podcast. So uh, the main facet of Four Swords Adventures is Hyrulean Adventure, and this is a full size quest. Takes around fifteen hours to beat. Supposedly the second of three games, or the, and the final one chronologically in the so-called Four Swords trilogy. For a long time, a lot of people assumed it was a direct sequel to Four Swords, uh, but actually it's set uh, hundreds of years after Twilight Princess in the child timeline. Um, again, if you're into your Nintendo timeline, specifically your Zelda timeline stuff, you've probably got a copy of Hyrule Historia. Um, and you'd probably be more aware of this stuff than me, but uh, but yeah, it's that's sort of interesting anyway. Uh, so it has eight worlds this time, uh, each with three stages and a boss, and it extends the story from Four Swords in that Varty is not the only villain. Ganon is in this one, uh, and he has stolen a powerful trident, trident and used it to take control of parts of Hyrule. Uh, there's also a Shadow Link in this one, uh, who's been sent to kidnap the Shrine Maidens and trick Link into releasing Varty in the first place. Uh, and, of course, your quest is to go off and kick everyone in and <laughs> defeat Ganon and seal him in and uh, and get back to there being just one Link. Mm. Uh, the, the, the random generation element is not in this one, and the graphics are a kind of... Now, this is where we start getting uh this is this is memory and this is subjective but i thought this game at the time was absolutely gorgeous Mm. it's in standard (laughs) Mm -hmm. definition now uh so obviously high definition or or high resolution is all relative but back in 2004 2005 when i played it um this was the first 2d zelda on a home console Mm. since link to the past And it had all these wonderful new effects like uh, sort of weather effects and mm-hmm. um, and clouds passing by overhead. And it was way higher resolution than Link to the Past had ever been. And it also had some big elements of uh, Wind Waker's animation in there mm-hmm. with sort of swirling, the sort of swirling smoke ideas and mm-hmm. the sort of stylized tendrils and things like that. And the audio visual side to me was an absolute treat now. Yeah, heat, shimmer, dust, storms, and fog, uh, uh, are some of the some of the elements. But I'm hearing dissenting voices about the look of this game back uh, back there. So uh, who's, where's that? Where's this grumbling coming from? I have some quibbles with the uh, aesthetic uh, presentation right. of the game. I understand where you're coming from. That like it is a pretty sizable step up from what we'd had previously at the time, but a lot of it just does not hold water these days. It kind of feels to me like a fan game that was made from sprites Mm. in flash for like new grounds or something like that. And that's not necessarily (laughs) always a terrible thing because there's been some wonderful stuff produced, you know, on the flash internet back in the day, but it has some of those really kind of weird and awkward. uh, A lot of the 
textures are just like especially for magic effects are just like very very simple gradients um like you would see in an old like powerpoint or flash um type presentation and um a lot of the sprites seem to be not properly cut out of the sprite sheet like the uh the black border surrounding mm. a lot of the sprites is uneven on you know various sides of the image and it kind of mm. has that feel of being a little bit too smooth like they are like 2d sprites being animated in a 3d engine which i'm not against like we've seen the uh, uh, rayman origins and legends do that same thing years later and look absolutely fantastic uh so you know i'm not against that per se but just in this particular game and with the other kind of like things that uh you know the gradient textures and the um kind of sloppy cutout jobs from time to time like everything just felt a little just a little homemade for my liking ryan <laughs> can i ask you a question uh yeah, quickly yeah. um you played this on dolphin as well didn't you yes yes um did you render it at the highest resolution that you could uh probably or a high resolution know. but not really sure um because i did find um i had similar uh you know, mm. visual effects with mm -hmm. my game. But it was only when I was rendering it at uh, 1080p um, that okay. it had that, that weird, like, cutout feeling. Mm -hmm. um, when I rendered it in the native resolution, standard resolution, mm -hmm. it looked considerably better. Um, okay. And I think the reason why... And, and I've encountered this issue with the Final Fantasy games that were released on Steam as well, mm -hmm. where when you mix 3D and um, 2D assets together, and then you... Uh, for older games, that is, and then mm -hmm. you kind of pump those out at a higher resolution, all the 2D stuff looks really weird compared with all mm -hmm. the 3D stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think a similar thing was going on with um, with this game, because once I cranked the resolution down to what it would have been on the GameCube, um, it was aesthetically a lot more cohesive. Okay. Um, and I, I ended up, I did end up actually really liking the aesthetic in the mm. in the same way um, Leon described it. Um, mm. But initially, I was really unimpressed because of everything that you just described. Yeah, uh, the perils of emulation, I yeah. think, at work there. And what playing, you know, um, eleven year old games on mm. LCD mm -hmm. 1080p monitors. Um, yeah. So, um, for 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 reference, I played this obviously on a cathode ray tube yeah. television <laughs> through uh, a, a a SCART lead, an RGB SCART lead. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously it's all, as I say, it's all relative and for the time. But, yeah. um, you know, I've been back and looks, looked at some footage and it still looks gorgeous to me, mm. I have to say. Um, without those effects Ryan mentions, obviously um, the bits where you're on the GBA, uh, they look well, very um, much yeah. like yeah, a, slightly updated, mm. um, a slightly updated Link's Awakening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, all the side-on bits um, in there. Uh, but yeah, just... Uh, the 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 waterfall with the rainbow over it and mm. yeah just seeing that link to the past world brought to life um in yeah i get i i can't even think what gamecube resolution would have been 400 mm. and something by 200 and something <laughs> yeah. or 300 and something i guess i don't know um but yeah so yeah oh. your my your mileage may vary depending on how you play this game but good mm. tip from josh there mm, yeah. if you do emulate it because you're curious 
uh, maybe play it at the original resolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean, what, what was your what was your uh, takeaway? Well, my issue with, with with it wasn't so much like the sprites and all that because I'm I'm pretty sure I rendered it at 1080p and I didn't. I maybe I just didn't notice that kind of cutout thing. But the problem I had with the game with the visuals was that I didn't. It didn't mesh well with me that they tried to use uh, Link to the Past's art style and Wind Waker's art style for the effects. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it just, it just like, the, the Wind Waker stuff looked a lot better, like, a lot clearer, I guess, and and, and more, I guess, um, I don't know, higher resolution, I guess. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the real term is for it, but I don't know. It just looked a bit more fluid, I think, than uh, how, like, you know, if you spin around with Link, he still kind of just, like, it's the cardinal directions. He doesn't do a full spin, you know, and... So stuff like that, like little things that just not, none of it really meshed well for me. And at the same time, too, because this is because this entire game is trying so much to emulate the older games, I didn't feel like I saw anything new, like any of the visuals, like any of the bosses or any of the of the areas. You know, it's just all none of it was particularly exciting for me. But that's, again, me playing it in 2016 after how many Zelda games, you know? A few more, yeah. And obviously the the the, 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 the sort of the sprite art style actually kind of paved the way for the next one, which was the, the Minish Cap, mm-hmm. the GBA one. So um, this kind of mixture between uh, previous 2D top-down games and Wind Waker mm-hmm. was something we would we would see more of, and perhaps this was mm-hmm. the first time. You know, obviously we see the, the sort of Toon Link recurring in mm-hmm. Phantom Hourglass and uh, uh, Spirit Tracks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I guess they were using this as a as test a, bed. You know, experimental mm-hmm. playground test bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, just out of curiosity, so I played this uh, as intended. With, mm-hmm. on, a, on a GBA, on an SP, albeit a front-lit one, but that meant I could actually see what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it was, you know, patently a gimmick um, mm-hmm. back then, it was a little bit Nintendo magical, that whole kind yeah. of going off the main screen into your Game Boy Advance, playing a little bit of handheld Zelda, um, and particularly the bit where you could interact with the the outer, you know, the, the the TV screen from your GBA, like firing arrows mm-hmm. and stuff like that into the game screen was proper, you know, like um, it was the augmented reality of, of 10 years mm. ago. It was, <laughs> uh, it was, it was cute. It was exciting. It was imaginative. It opened up a lot of, you know, thoughts about what might be possible in the future, as did the Wii U, but then, you know, kind of didn't de- deliver on a lot of them. Um, I suppose it started making us think about what the DS might do, which was only, you know, 2005. It was actually months away at this point um, in in the UK anyway. Uh, and I that was one of the, the key drivers for playing this game was not just playing a, a new top-down remixed co-op Zelda game, although that would have been enough in itself, but the whole the whole GBA second screen thing. Um, we also have been playing Pac Man Versus around this time, which is a, a multiplayer game that I absolutely love, and that had you know being Pac Man on the GBA screen and the ghosts on the TV screen. Um, yeah, still still genius, and never really been made available in in any other way. Um, so how were how does this present if you're all playing on Dolphin? Is it just a sub screen or a separate screen or it's like a pop up screen that that um, 
Okay. Yeah, it just kind of covers a little bit of the screen and just gives you enough uh, to see what yeah, you need. Okay. Actually, it does that on it does. I'm I'm remembering it does that on the original game if you mm, didn't yeah, plug yeah. in a GBA. So mm-hmm. if you if you just played because you could play this solo but with a normal GameCube mm-hmm. controller, and then it would do exactly that. It would render the 2D game yeah. on top of the screen. Yeah, as a nice little like window border that shows the Game Boy mm-hmm. Advance. Yeah, screen. the Game Boy Advance. It's yeah. cute. Yeah, and the colors change around it. It's kind of nice. Yeah, but again, I feel like. Um, Although I didn't get the full optimum four-player experience, I think my experience of playing this in some sort of co-op would have, I suspect, been a more edifying, mm, exciting absolutely. experience yeah. than your yeah. than your solo one. Yeah, playing it like this in emulation is just it. It kind of felt pointless. Like it just that you could have just cut to a new scene inside. When you know it only happens when you go inside or underground. Um, and so, like for me, just playing it as a solo experience, it could have just cut to the inside or cut to underground yeah. and it would have been just the same. So, but again, as you're saying, that's totally not the ideal way to be playing this game. So, yeah, you know, for me playing it in 2016 on emulation, I didn't really prefer. Yeah. The, the point being, I should emphasize for those who are unaware is the, the point being that in theory, you can all go off into of separate course, places yeah. and mm-hmm. do separate things yeah. at the same time yeah. without the game pausing, without anyone else's view being mm-hmm. obstructed and so on and so forth. Sure. A couple things about the mix of the presentation and the gameplay. I do really like the way that fire works in this game. Kind of reminds me of yes. the Far Cry series in a way. And that fire just like spreads naturally. And it's <laughs> yeah, so much fun yeah, right. to see a huge like patch of grass in front of you and just light it on fire and just watch it all kind of go up and leave rupees or I guess force gems behind. And, um, and you know, and as I've said earlier, I, I don't really like when they use like a mixture of, uh, of vector shapes and sprites. Like I think that the everything, it would have looked better if everything was rendered in sprites, like in a uh, four swords anniversary or in Minish cap afterwards. But, you know, regardless, I still think that that is kind of like a magical gameplay experience. And there's also, there's a lot of kind of stuff like that later on, um, where they just take the liberties of using the 3d engine to, um, to do things that they couldn't have done or things that would have probably been a lot more difficult to do in previous Zelda games. Like I really like the uh, graveyard boss that you fight later on that after you hit him, he just, he flies super close to the screen in a kind of scary way using uh, the, the sprite mm-hmm. scaling, which is so much easier to do mm-hmm. in a 3d engine or the way that, um, that things spin around when they're floating in the air in the uh, rooms where the, tiles fly at you which we've seen ever since yeah um, mm-hmm. link to the past but you know since everything is rendered in the same engine and they don't have to do separate rotation sprites um they can just rotate all of the items in the 3d engine they can literally throw everything in the room at you which i think kind of speaks to the general ethos of the game that it's like um, it's like previous zelda games but everything is just bigger and where there would have been like two enemies or two pots or two you know Mm -hmm. things before now there's like a hundred of everything and it's fun sometimes it makes it feel kind of like those uh like a you know mario 64 rom hack with uh with chain chomps 
pasted everywhere uh and so you know it kind of plays into again like i said earlier the kind of like fan game or flash game reinterpretation of zelda from earlier but it's uh it's used to cute effect a few times i think one one aspect of the game that i ended up really liking which kind of links into what you're saying here ryan is that um more than any zelda i've played i feel like four swords is just about like giving the player something fun to do rather than challenging. Mm-hmm. So this this game mm-hmm. is is really easy I mm-hmm. found for the most part. There there's there wasn't really any point that I got stuck. But like there are so many moments where the game is just going Oh, here's a hundred soldiers. Line up your links <laughs> with their bows yeah. and just mow them all down. And mm-hmm. it's it is and, fun. and it's it's not. There's no depth to it whatsoever. Like it, it's it's so easy. But there's something really mm. satisfying about watching your formation of links just kind of volley after volley, just mow down hundreds of soldiers in a way that you just can't do in any other Zelda game. So I, you know, for. And I'm sure we're going to get onto these points later on. So for you know, for all the negatives that I'm sure we might bring up, um, I, I did I did enjoy the fact that this felt like a Zelda that aesthetically and and just through like visuals like the flames and stuff like that and and just the the moments it presented, it was just about let's just do something fun. Um, another moment that sticked out for me in that regard was um, when you first get the horses. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea that the, there were even horses in this game to begin with. So mm. when I first got that carrot, and I, <laughs> you know, I had a squadron of links just mowing down soldiers <laughs> left, right, and so, and it again, there's no depth to it. You are just moving the characters across the screen, and they're just killing everyone. But it was memorable because it just, I felt so empowered in a way that you rarely do in a in a Zelda game. I, I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but I, I did kind of feel like this level of empowerment was rare for uh, a Zelda game. As a counterpoint to that, um, I think it does a good job of setting up those moments and particularly playing off of the expectations that you have from previous Zelda games. Uh, things that would have been really simple puzzles before are now a lot more intimidating and things that because of the the scale that everything is at and things that would have been impossible encounters before are almost trivial and that can be really satisfying and it reminds me of a lot of mobile games and a lot of like XBLA games like a uh, um uh Pac-Man Championship Edition EX or whatever it was called um that it does a really yes. uh yeah a lot of uh, very similar things where you know you have those long lines of ghosts that you're eating really quickly Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. and you know that's fun because you have the expectation in your mind of Mm -hmm. what a pac-man game is supposed to be and you know how uh, this would just never happen but um and, and so you see a lot of those when when classic video games go to mobile especially and so you'll have a little uh two minute level to play through uh and you know it's just a nice kind of satisfying set them up and knock them down type thing and I think that like that type of gameplay experience um, to be experienced in short bursts, especially if you're bringing multiple players into the fray, would have worked better than what they ended up delivering, which I felt was a very kind of 
uneven gameplay experience. Um, yeah. Now, I, I think that, you know, especially being a multiplayer game, they should have been a lot more, uh, I guess, maybe considerate or sensitive of players' time. Um, these levels can range anywhere from taking, you know, 10 minutes to like an hour and a half each to mm-hmm. beat. And maybe that was just me being a little dumb on some of them and and wandering back and forth and not quite being able to understand where I was supposed to be able to go. But I felt like some of these levels were like tremendously long anyways and just took (laughs) forever to get through. I I can imagine like if I was trying to schedule a playtime with a couple of other people, um, you know, like in the ideal situation, which might be like you have a bunch of friends at university, you know, just a couple rooms down the hallway in your dorm or whatever. Like, I don't know what I would say to, um, you know, come over and let's play some Zelda. It might take 10 minutes or it might take an hour and a half. I don't know (laughs) if they were more consistent in the levels. And I think if they had, um, trended towards like, more shorter levels then that would have been a lot more accommodating especially if you're trying to wrangle exactly. multiple people to play hmm. yeah I, um you've kind of highlighted my biggest problem with the game i think um for what's here this game is far too long um i think yes. 15 hours for this game is a it's a bit too much um and as as you said like the pacing is kind of all over the place and mm-hmm. um for that reason it ends up feeling really uh bitty i don't know if that's a really a uh, good description but like with, with a link to the past which um was, was the last uh, 2d um game i played before this one in the zelda series um that compelled you to keep playing Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has a pace to it that just keeps keeps you charging forwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas the stop start nature of this and the uneven length of the levels meant mm-hmm. that after I completed a level, a part of my brain was just like, I'm kind of done for today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, I couldn't do that because I was playing for a you know a deadline and um, you know I needed to get it done, but. If I was playing this organically, I'd probably like play one level, leave it for a couple of days, and play another level. Mm-hmm. I'd probably get around to completing it, but I don't think I would, you know, go through this at a, uh, uh, you know, quite quite the pace I went through a link to the past. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that can't put down quality yeah. that a lot of yeah. the the stronger Zelda games have for me. This speaks to both the pros and the cons of playing it in co-op which is clearly as it's intended so i played it exactly as you sort of described which is playing a level or two every week or couple of weeks Mm -hmm. with a friend ideally it would have been two three friends but you know harder to get together uh, and whatever but um we definitely did run into that problem of not knowing how long the levels were going to be so you know we'd start a session and rattle through one level and then get stuck for a ages on one or you know you think i would just do one more and then it would end up getting really late that that sort of thing so yeah that that uneven spread seems seems like an odd decision um especially when it is kind of asking you to to um, Mm co-op and play it socially uh yeah like it, it feels like there there are only a very few ideal scenarios in which to play this game mm-hmm. at its 
ideal at its optimum, mm. which would be like you say, like in a university dorm or in a shared house, you know, some kind, or you just so happen, you know, I'm thinking back to uh, actually that same time in my life, I had a regular group of friends. The group in, in total was probably about eight people, but every week about four of us would get together to play soccer games, you know, and that was no problem at all. Everyone was keen. Everyone always wanted to do it. Uh, we loved it. We had a great time. It was not difficult to get those people together. Um, but to find at the same time in my life, three people who wanted to sit down and play several hours of 2D Zelda, mm. not quite so easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, and again, we're coming back to the other barriers of entry, which are needing to own the hardware mm -hmm. and then being able to see the hardware, even if you own it, <laughs> yeah. the light and all that sort of thing. But again, I do want, I do want to stress because I, I think, um, you know, we have quite a lot of listeners these days and I'm really, although we don't have tons of correspondence for this game, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that there will be at least a handful of listeners who did get to play this yeah, in yeah. optimum situation. And I hope that they're kind of not recognizing some of our frustrations with the game <laughs> in a way, yeah. because I remember watching promotional videos to this game before I played it and thinking, oh my gosh, that looks like so much fun. Four links together, doing Zelda-y things together. So you were talking about the number of enemy sprites with the, you know, and the, the spreading of fire and the number of mm -hmm. pots in a room and all that sort of thing. Now, all that's there so that you're constantly busy. And the fact that mm -hmm. it, you know, that you can have, it can support four of you all doing something at once. Like there's, there's never a dull moment, even if, even if all of you are there. Now I'm, speaking hypothetically because I haven't played it with four, mm -hmm. but playing with two and even with its slightly irksome switching between two links now and again, I got a real kick out of the four player aspect, um, even if it was two yeah. times two rather than you know four times one. And it's just stuff like, you know, it's simple stuff in a way, all standing mm. on a pad to yeah. open a door, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that sort of thing. So this, this sort of talk about, oh, the game seems really long. It doesn't mm. seem so long when you're playing with three friends. Yeah, you know, I imagine. Yeah, so yeah. even with one, it's it's such a it's such a different thing. Which yeah. you know, which again comes back to why, in some ways, this isn't the ideal game for us to cover. Yeah. But well, we're here now. One reason I think that I think the three of us at least uh, feel that it's long is that you don't, from the beginning to end, you don't really do anything different. Like each level has the same items. You fight a mm. shadow link you fight a mini boss and you fight a big boss at the end like this it's it all plays exactly the same each time it's just a different setting so i wonder if like because we kept doing that by ourselves over and over and over and over and over again it made it feel longer than maybe it could have been if you were playing it as a group you know laughing and having a much better time maybe not paying so much attention or not no i don't want to say paying so much attention um maybe it maybe it's not letting it get to you so much that it's a little bit repetitive for about 15 hours. Yeah. And there's so many design decisions that uh, kind of reinforce this idea that this is meant to be something that you're supposed to jump into and jump out of and um, make it a really mm -hmm. kind of almost arcadey experience. Like the fact that your, uh, your heart containers reset at the end of every level, as well mm -hmm. as all mm -hmm. of your items and the strength bracelet, like things don't carry over level to level, which means that like each level was meant to be a standalone experience mm -hmm. that you can, you know, play with your friends. And if your friends aren't around tomorrow, then no problem. Everybody's just starting from square one. Anyways, the fact that it's kind of a, a, a score chaser type game, all of this doesn't really reinforce a lot of these like broader 
gameplay decisions that we're talking about now. They, they seem to be really contradicting each other. There were a lot of um, decisions as well when playing it single player where I could just, and this is the frustrating thing about playing it single player, is that I could see that that could be more fun mm-hmm. with another yeah. player. Like the way the game handles items, for example, where mm-hmm. you can only have one at a time. And I can imagine in my head, well, this would be really awesome if I had four other guys and and we were, you know, deciding between us, okay, you're a pretty good archer, you can have the bow, okay, you're That's good it. with the hammer, you can have that. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you, you, you carry the key. You just carry the key because you're useless. Like <laughs> I can imagine that being hilarious and fun in multiplayer, but in single player, everyone has the same item. Um, you know, carrying a key is functionally no different than carrying a key in every other Zelda game, except you're holding it above your head. As you do. <laughs> I, I can only apologize to the people listening to this because I can, I can see the better experience. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and, I've, and I realized that a lot of my impressions of this game are not going to be, um, as Leon said, they're not going to be an accurate summation of the game. Well, they they They're are accurate, accurate of us. your experience right, of it, yeah. and and as I say, of many other people's. I, I suspect there are a lot of people who bought this back in two thousand five, four, who bought it because it was a nice looking new Zelda game for their GameCubes mm. and played it solo. I, yeah. I reckon the majority of people would have played this game solo, probably with a standard controller, with a not with a GBA plugged in as well. You know, so. Mm. So it's absolutely fair. To bring up something a bit more positive, because um, there there are quite a few things I like about this game, but um, I generally found the boss battles to be quite fun, even though they're kind of yeah. mainly kind of uh, remasters of um, older bosses. Um, I, I liked um, the unique spin that some of them had. So, for example, the boss, uh, the bird boss on the top of Death Mountain. Yeah. Um, I like the gimmick of trying to smash it into those huts and mm-hmm. then going inside the huts and then smacking yeah. it in the face with a hammer <laughs> uh, to uh, destroy its little head guard. Yeah. I thought that was just a clever in- implementation of you know the unique presentation of the game. Um, and none of them were frustrating. Um, again, this kind of links into the fact that the game is pretty easy. But it was fun to just have like a series of bosses that were just fun yeah. um, instead of like aggravating or a serious wall. They were just entertaining. And um, I, I really like the. I did actually really like the ones where um, it kind of focused on the color switching because it did force you to actually use all the different links in different Mm -hmm. ways and um, consider that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I do think generally the boss battles in this game are really fun. I got the impression, again, harking back again to the same old stuff, but I got the impression that they were all thoroughly designed with the idea of the optimum playing situation. And I guess that was... In some ways, you can completely understand and forgive it, but then in other ways, perhaps they were being the development team and Nintendo as the publishers Mm -hmm. themselves were being naive or overly ambitious or 
I don't know. You know, maybe there maybe there's an argument to say they should have put more effort into the solo experience. Mm. Um, you know, this was a full price game. I play. I paid full price for it. Um, as did the friend who I played it with, and we alternated between our copies. So, yeah, they got they got two lots of money out of us for it. Um, we probably could have managed with one, to be honest. But <laughs> the the you know, they made it functional for the solo player. Right, but, yeah. but is that enough for a game? It's in, yeah, it's interesting now. We often talk about we the games press the the games gaming community now in in 2016 at the time of recording. We often talk about games which come out with a severely multiplayer focus, mm-hmm. and some people have different feelings about that. Sometimes, you know, I'm I'm of a mind that, for instance, Battlefield Four, um, I have. You know, I I would have almost preferred it if they hadn't stuck a single player in <laughs> yeah. there because they could have because it, it's so utterly yeah. you know, mediocre that I'd have rather they spent the extra resources. Um, and I realised that some of the resources are different and not mm-hmm. transferable, but some of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different, isn't it? Because it's all online. Whereas this game was sold as a multiplayer game. They came. They they it came in a big, nice big box. I remember with with a cable in it. With a you know with a free purple cable to attach your GBA to it, but that was the concession it made <laughs> to to anything else. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, and and unlike the original GBA cart, made itself playable. Yeah, but like as I say, because I did play this solo as well. I should say that although I played it through in two player and completed it, mm-hmm. I did play some solo at home and I quite enjoyed it. But mm-hmm. it wasn't. It just wasn't as compelling. Like, yeah. e- even though we're going back ten years ago, I can empathise with the opinions that that you guys are mm-hmm. expressing, having played this now on your own. Yeah. Well, as as Josh mentioned about the bosses, how they're um, they're pretty much mostly rehashes of of a lot of the ones from Link to the Past and other previous bosses. And I think playing those even still solo is still pretty fun. Like it's kind of like a testament to how sure. good those bosses boss battles were back in the day that that they still hold up even, you know, in this co-op experience, they still hold up, I think, pretty well uh, in this That's one. That's good to know. Yeah, I, I felt that way anyway. This game is tuned to be a lot faster and more combat-oriented as well. Um, it, it's kind of like, yes, and again, definitely. bring up the example of, like, this is the Bloodborne to the previous Zelda's Dark Souls. Like, you you have a more substantial rolling animation with iframes in there and the bosses are usually tuned to be faster to uh, Mm. account for your increased um, mobility and so these battles do tend to play out a little bit differently and so if you have the advantage of knowing what you were doing in uh, in the previous games then you will have an advantage here but uh, you also have the advantage of having, you know, four swords at your disposal. Uh, you can huddle up in your uh, circular formation and just send blades out everywhere, <laughs> which is really mm-hmm. gratifying as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. different. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, co-op moves, definitely. I will say one portion of the game that I did not <laughs> care for very much at all. Uh, it was just one little level in which there's a, a terrible escort mission where you have to uh, take Malon to her ranch or somewhere um but she has a very rudimentary follow ai oh um, yeah and it's impossible to guide her to go with any like sense of precision and you're like guiding her in between very like narrow safe spots between fireballs and 
Um, and she she can take two hits, and it's really not up to you whether she gets hit or not. Just really frustrating yeah. to me. I was, you know, because I managed to kill her several times trying to cross, <laughs> and I was thinking, wait a minute, I can pick, I can pick up links. Yeah. Why can't I just pick up her? Yeah. <laughs> I tried it, can't do it, and mm. that really annoyed me because it was like the one instance where the game was kind of like betraying what it, it what it did taught you was possible mm, before mm-hmm. you can yeah. it, it just yeah i know what you're talking about at that moment ryan it just felt really yeah, unnecessary and counter to the rest of the game's design and you could pick up princess ruto yeah. ocarina of time and <laughs> you could pick things up in the 2d games and throw them about yeah. uh, and actually picking other links up and chucking mm-hmm, them about yeah. was was good you know good fun mm-hmm. for uh, shenanigans and and for puzzle solving yeah so yeah um i think I, I always felt like the qa on this game wasn't quite up to nintendo's mm-hmm. normal high standards uh there was a there was one level one time where where pete and i got completely locked out of continuing due to a you know like a sort of the kind of thing you expect in other people's games like where a a, a a trigger didn't happen basically a trigger didn't appear yeah. um and and that that was for a nintendo <laughs> game it was like is this really happening yeah. have we missed something here because that was <laughs> you know so unusual you know how there's those like little i don't know what they're called in the game but they're like they're circular and you bounce off them like they they make you bounce off them they move around sonic the room. spinball type uh, things. yeah yeah and they're and they're <laughs> they're usually in rooms where it has those like octopus things that you can't really kill i'm sorry i don't know the names of these uh enemies Octorocks? um i don't know what they are you can't really kill them with your sword you have to knock them off a ledge I'm trying to go the entire series of Zelda podcasts without learning all the names for the <laughs> okay. enemies just to annoy the hardcore fans who are no doubt listening. <laughs> yeah, I know the ones. Well, okay, yeah. So uh, that room has uh, one of those bounce pods in there and it you have to basically knock those little enemies into the bounce pod to knock them off the ground. And so I cool was... Cool idea. Yeah, it's, it is a cool idea. And then I, um, I'd hit the thing, it bounced off of the bounce ball back into me and knocked me off the ledge. You know, if you fall off a ledge, it shoots you back out and they go, they scream all the way down to scream all the way back up. I would, where it would land me every time would be on top of the bounce thing and it would bounce me off the ledge over and over and over and over. I had to turn the game off because I couldn't, no matter what I did, I couldn't move off of that bounce pad. So it kept like the most annoying sound in the world is four links falling off of a ledge, <laughs> screaming their entire way down like that. Oh my god, that killed me. Um, so, as you're talking about Reset. QA, it feels like something that normally yeah. wouldn't happen. Yeah. Speaking of horrific noises, the drowning mm-hmm. animation for this particular game when you're drowning in the poison swamp is horrific. <laughs> that would uh, that one would give Darren nightmares for sure. <laughs> oh, if people don't know, uh, our, our own Darren Gargett is uh, is terrified of water in games and has been ever since he first drowned Dizzy in a, in a Dizzy <laughs> game. But I don't know if poison water has the same the same effect on him. Not only was there the Hyrulean adventure, um, there was also uh, well one one aspect we haven't mentioned, and, and again, I guess I don't know if the solo player gets anything out of Tingle's Tower whatsoever. Um, <laughs> min, do, do the mini games work for the solo player? I can't even remember. I think they're multiplayer only. There's horse racing, hammer tag, monster hunting, and five others. Mm-hmm. Uh, mini games in there for for uh, for again to cater for the multiplayer folks. Um, I. 
my recollection is that none of these in themselves was, you know, especially uh, amazing, but, uh, but you know, nice that they were there kind of thing and you could have a, have a little between serious level muck around and that was fine. There was also the, the rather more um, substantial uh, or substantially build anyway, Shadow Battle. And again, uh, this is multiplayer only, so none of you guys will have experienced this, but this is that mode you always wanted. It's a kind of versus Zelda. I think we played it twice, mm. maybe with three or four. That would have yeah. opened it up a little. Yeah. But with two, I don't remember it, mm. it being a, a especially interesting addition, mm. but gratefully received nonetheless. Now, the other one, the perhaps the most interesting aspect is Navi Trackers. So this was originally going to be a game, like a release, a full-blown release called Tetris Trackers. It ended up being on the the Japan-only version of Four Swords Adventures, um, and it utilised the, the GBA thing. You would be playing on the GBA with uh, the TV showing a map, and uh, I, I think the sort of the main gimmick of this was uh, Tetra would be narrating, sort of commentating effectively mm. uh, as the game went on. And I think it had, um, I think it, it did your name. So you could input your name in uh, characters. Uh, it knew how to speak katakana or whatever. So you could put in a name. Um, so I actually played this because Pete, the aforementioned friend who I played this game with, imported the Japanese version. Hmm. Um, so I have played some two-player Navi trackers, and it was one of those uh, typical, charming, diverting Nintendo experiments mm-hmm. that could have probably gone on to be something else, but wasn't, you know, hugely deep in its own right. Yeah, interesting nonetheless, and a and a and a, and a nice curio for those for those who have got it. I'm I'm pleased to say I've played it, but. It's not something I would say, you know, somehow seek it out because obviously there are even more barriers to entry. It, all the things we've already mentioned, plus the fact that it's only in Japanese. <laughs> so, yeah. But there it is. There was a Four Swords Adventures manga authored by Akira Himakawa, which uh, documents the adventures of Four Swords Adventures uh, with each link having uh, its uh, their, their nickname based on their colour. Uh, and having personalities, as you'd expect, the green one being a kind of normal link, sort of focused and brave. you got a red guy who's a childish optimist. And this, by the way, I put your nicknames um, before reading this. So that makes uh, Ryan the childish optimist. Uh, I'm quick-tempered and aggressive, and Josh is aloof and self-possessive. So fairly inaccurate on, on all counts there. Uh, set maybe Sean, um, yeah. So that that's uh, that's happened, and uh, and there was a sequel, uh, was actually announced for the DS uh, called Four Swords DS, uh, but that was canned and uh, replaced in the schedule by Phantom Hourglass, which we'll be covering in the future. Uh, Ryan, you got a couple of other little nuggets to mention in traditional yeah. fashion. Yeah, as we like to, um, as we go throughout the series, at least pay little brief mentions to the Zelda games that don't get their own shows, whether they are uh, non, I don't want to say canonical, but uh, 
sometimes little side projects or, or just little things here and there. I think it's worth noting at this point in the Zelda timeline, uh, Soul Calibur 2 came out in 2002. The GameCube version of that yeah. featured Link um, as he was depicted in Ocarina of Time. And probably more relevantly, um, this would probably be a good time to just mention that the Zelda series as a whole was has been uh, well represented in the Super Smash Bros. series of games. Um, Melee would have come out about a year before Four Swords Adventures, if I have my, my dates correct. But um, uh, more than that, okay, uh, yeah, melee was 2002, I think. So yeah, it would have been a good couple of years, okay, or more. Yeah, yeah, but that is, uh, you know, Link, and in the latter case, a lot of his friends as well, uh, being translated into fighting games, and so for uh, for a little while fighting there, Link. yeah, he was making making the rounds in the fighting circuits. <laughs> Yeah, so at this point, uh, I had uh, bought, played, and completely caned and rinsed both Soul Edge or Soul Blade, as it was Mm -hmm. known over here, and Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast. Mm. And so I had the choice of all three versions of Soul Calibur 2. And of course, I went with the GameCube (laughs) because it had Link in it. And the Xbox version had Spawn who I think wow, is really? pants <laughs> and the uh, and the PlayStation 2 version had Heihachi Mishima from yeah. uh, from Tekken, Tekken which mm. was you know cool but not that exciting Mm-mm. so yeah it was it was GameCube all the way for for me um as it turned out I did not play Soul Calibur 2 nearly as much as I played its predecessors um I started drifting on on the series but I certainly played it I played it a chunk, and Link Link looked pretty fine in it, albeit slightly out of place, if if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Now, as always, let's hear from our community on the subject of Four Swords. We got a few posts. Always grateful, as we say. Without these contributions, these podcasts would be considerably less interesting. Um, now, the first one is from uh, regular correspondent Andrew Brown, who I know has been listening to our podcasts. Uh, like a mad thing for months now and is uh, is currently worrying about running out. He's down to the last 40. Uh, he's a regular contributor as well. Um, all this is in his own opinion. He expresses many of these opinions as if they are facts, but, uh, but it's such strong stuff that I am interested to share it. Andrew says, My memories of Four Swords are somewhat dormant, so you'll have to excuse me if they're vague. Owing to the difficulty of merely playing the game, my last chance was 15 years ago with a cousin and never a full cadre of links. This is its primary flaw from the get-go. Playing it at all is prohibitively difficult. The number of people who both A, played with a full complement and B, finished all the difficulties must be a very small number indeed. And even once you are into the game, players are greeted by something that only superficially resembles a Zelda game. Players expecting an open world will find themselves navigating a series of linear levels. Players hoping to gather heart pieces with their friends will find themselves competing for rupees instead. Like many or most exclusively multiplayer experiences, how much fun you have with it is going to depend on who you are playing with. It's an experience not only unlike other Zelda titles, but outside them as well. But none of this matters if it's still a good game. And as a minor multiplayer component to the GBA, a link to the passport, Four Swords is entirely unobjectionable. It's with this thought in mind that we enter Four Swords Adventures. It's one thing to be merely unobjectionable and a small part of a larger package, 
when the whole thing is unobjectionable and that's all there is, it's harder to accept its faults. Blending the visual and aural aesthetics of The Wind Waker and A Link to the Past, whisking in the lore from Ocarina of Time and even introducing new ideas which will be further developed later in the series, especially The Mirror of Darkness and Link's adventures in the clouds, there's a surprising amount of fan service here, but none of that matters if the game is equally as inaccessible as Four Swords. Thankfully, the concessions made in solo play do not wander into the minefield of design issues that mar the later Triforce heroes. In fact, the ability to snap your quad of links into five different formations adds a great deal of offensive and defensive depth to the staid Zelda top-down combat. Some of the most thrilling moments in the entire game are when your links are pitted against dozens of enemies at once. These moments are sadly far too few. At other times, when facing a single large monster, players can snap between a loose formation that keeps your four links together, but passive and a tight formation and lets them deal maximum damage as a single group. The four links appear to be distinct entities and may split up at the player's will, but more commonly act as a single player character. Outside of combat, each level functions as a puzzle-focused miniature dungeon. Barring a few puzzles, which use items in ways never communicated you can do, few of the puzzles are difficult to overcome solo, which must be a bad sign for the multiplayer. Any puzzle a single player can overcome with minimal effort must be downright boring for multiple players. I'm going to interject here because I believe the puzzles are actually not the same in all cases mm. for because they're remixed to uh, yeah. accommodate the separate movement of all four characters. Yeah, I would imagine so because so, there's so many like of yeah. those where you have to stand on top of a little, you know, spot. It's always like in a line when you're playing in yeah. single player. So I imagine they're spread out or at least. Yeah, that's at, at, at bare minimum. I right, think there's, yeah. there's, there's remixed elements like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And back to Andrew's post. In theory, Four Swords Adventures sounds like an unorthodox Zelda title, stripping away the adventure to focus only on the puzzles and the combat, but still a good one. In practice, I've found my most recent playthrough to be afflicted by a malaise. I feel positively towards what the game tries to do, but when I sit down to play it, those positive feelings go away. Only in a few moments did I feel negatively about it or resented it taking up my time. I can't point to any particular part of the game that made me feel that way, the entire product simply fails to invigorate me the way other Zelda titles do. As fans or critics, we often like to castigate Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, as the series' black sheep, but that is a folly. We have that black sheep here in Four Swords Adventures, a game that is Zelda in appearance only. It elicits none of the joy, wonder or sense of discovery that other Zelda titles do in their best moments. It is a competently made, mechanically sound, utterly soulless experiment in adapting an essentially solo experience to multiple players. I'd call it my least favourite in the series, but it doesn't really feel like it belongs in the series in the first place. Yeah, I think it is utterly soulless is, I mean, that's such a subjective thing and I didn't feel that in the slightest. Uh, I thought I thought it had plenty of, um, plenty of Nintendo soul and... Uh, charm and and all that good stuff but uh yeah i would say i mean I, I would infinitely rather play four swords adventures again than zelda 2 that's for sure but <laughs> we talked about that a while ago next up we have mike leddy 83 i'm a lucky person to have had the chance to play all of this subset of zelda games sadly the social side of things never helped me despite loving the idea of playing it I managed a single two-player session on the GBA original. 20 minutes of bliss, but it wasn't destined to be. There were always new things on the GBA, you just couldn't keep pace. 
I forced myself through the GameCube edition in single player, somewhat awkwardly, though very impressed by its visual style, but with a nagging feeling I was missing the point somewhat. Finally, with the advent of the 3DS, my partner and I had bought each other the system. We sat pretty with a generous ambassador collection of Zeldas and thought that was it for now. But out of nowhere, Nintendo decided to throw us an additional treat, Four Swords Anniversary. And so the adventure began. Finally, I'd reach half of that dream, and from start to finish we beat the thing over a rainy holiday in Brussels. Three fairly substantial sessions was all it took, but seeing my girlfriend enjoy a Zelda game was great after the struggles she had had with Ocarina of Time just a few months earlier. It might not have been brilliant, but enjoyable, pleasantly so. With the ease of access to this version, we played it through again very recently, with plenty of terrible teamwork. Overall, it's a relatively short and easy game. It's serving purpose for me, at least at the time, release was a glimpse into what Capcom could do with the upcoming Minish Cap, and in that respect you do get a solid insight. So where does this leave the game? I believe it's held in that bastion group of hard-to-access must-play experiences like Saturn Bomberman, Pac-Man vs or Smash Brothers. As much as I like what I saw of the two-player game, I can't suggest that even in four-player mode it could hang with the best, though it is pretty much as inaccessible. Still, I get a nagging feeling that the GameCube version may be where I really want to be, but with a much higher barrier to entry these days, I can only go off what little I remember. A recent purchase of the latest 3DS game must show those memories mean something. Time will tell. And finally, we have a new correspondent who names themselves after the blue chicken creature out of other Zelda games. It's a good <laughs> sign. Kajiro87. I have fond memories of playing Four Swords Adventures with my two brothers. This meant that someone was always lumbered with the final extra link, what we called Pinky Link, even though he's clearly purple. This game tested our brotherly relationship to breaking point with its balance of cooperation and competition. The lure of force gems and the evil voting system at the end of each level really pushed this competitive edge. The mechanics of going between TV and GBA were beautifully implemented, with some very clever touches, like firing a bow out of a door on your GBA would mean it would appear on the TV and could hit switches. There are many memorable moments. One that stands out is the Village of the Blue Maiden level, real change of pace and somehow more challenging than straight-up action levels. In particular, the puzzle of having to have one player talk to an NPC twice was unnecessarily obscure. Another, another vivid memory is Hyrule Castle Infiltration Level. Coordinating stealth with two other people is not a simple task. The Tingle Tower minigames are a brilliant addition. The horse racing one is a particular highlight. I've always felt it a shame there hasn't been another one like this, especially with the popularity of the DS and Wii a few years back. That connectivity would have been much easier to get a group together. I'd love to see a re-release on the 3DS, though I think that's unlikely with NX round the corner. The dual screens would act just like the two screens of the original. Thank you, everybody. And also thank you to our three-word reviewers. Tweet us at Kane and Rince. Play Critically says Four Swords Misadventure. Craigity Craig says Too Many Cables. Chris Chung says Force Gem Arguments. Shift 2 says Tingle Won't Escape. Ben Williams says Multi-Link Mayhem. Hmm. And uh, I let uh, the King Rocker have one three-road review for each of the versions of the game. So we have uh, GBA version, nice little bonus. The GameCube version, prohibitive accessory requirements. And the 3DS Anniversary Edition, we finally played. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, so 
let's just summarize as we can, acknowledging all that we have discussed. Mm. Sean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's unfortunately so many caveats, I think, to my opinion of this game. Like during the time that I'm playing it, I'm going through a bit of a stressful period. Um, nothing too bad, but uh, just enough to where it might annoy me. Uh, things that would annoy me, maybe annoy me a little more than they should. Uh, so certain sequences in this game, like um, the aforementioned uh, little um, escort quest that you talked about earlier, Ryan, and the, um, oh, what is that? That like mountain that Ganon's on that if you go the wrong way, he just laughs and it resets you all the way back to the beginning of the level. Like that was classic. Yeah. Oh, that was infuriating. <laughs> um, you know, so at the same time, like as we're recording this now, I know this isn't the No Man's Sky podcast, but that just came out and I'm like completely enamored with that. So I would force myself to turn that off and play this and that's never a good way honestly <laughs> to go into a game so you know um see how we suffer listeners <laughs> yeah yeah but i don't know you know as we found out with zelda 2 i'm sure this is someone's favorite zelda game someone out there uh it could very well be their favorite zelda game but for me um most of it was kind of a misfire i didn't really particularly like the art style uh blending and I didn't like the... It's not like I don't like the action in the game. It's just none of it felt new to me. And that's unfortunate because uh, with most of the Zelda games I've played, there was at least something new about them. And uh, I don't know, it just wasn't really the Zelda experience that I was looking for. But again, that's me playing it now by myself, which is not the way to do it. Um, so... But that's, unfortunately, that's my experience with the game. I wouldn't personally recommend it to someone who's going to be playing it by themselves uh, at this time. But, you know, your mileage may vary. So, I don't know. Sorry, Four Swords. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> Josh, any different? I do feel much the same as Sean, except I would say that I feel slightly more positively. Um, you know, the moments I mentioned during the podcast... The, the bit with the horses and, and just those moments of empowerment. I did have a smile on my face during those moments. And I once I adjusted the you know resolution so it was um, the same as the uh, original GameCube version. I, I actually really love the aesthetic of this game. I think it I think it's um, one of the most attractive um, Zelda games for me personally. Um, but in terms of just you know, gameplay, it's good, but it's not, it just doesn't evoke the same kind of feelings that A Link to the Past did for me when I finally completed that, whereas that felt like I had, you know, really seriously filled a gap in my, you know, gaming knowledge because mm. I really love Link to the Past. I think that game is fantastic and it's mm -hmm. and it's one of the better games i've um had to you know have had to play for the show um this one's just good it's no i should state it's nowhere near as negative an experience as um zelda 2 ended up being for me um zelda 2 is still easily the kind of low point of the series as as far as i'm concerned um in terms of my experience of the series mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I and the thing is, I can see, I can see playing it on my own all the ways where where it would be more fun if I had someone playing with me. So if you know, in the future, Nintendo decide, hey, 
we are actually going to re-release this and we're going to have proper you know multiplayer functionality built in so that you know people can play online people can play locally etc etc you know what i would give this game a second go um just to see what what that experience is like but if you are thinking about playing this either you know via emulation or you're willing to pay god knows how much money for the uh, gamecube version of four swords adventures i can't really re recommend it because the solo experience just um it, it's just not as memorable or affecting as um some of the other 2d zeldas um specifically uh, a link to the past and a, a link between worlds cool thanks josh ryan you played them both what do you think Yes, um, I guess I'll start with Four Swords Anniversary Edition. It was a very easy-to-consume game. It, it delivered on some really nice, even single-player puzzles, you know, because I was playing it by myself. Um, I didn't really ever feel like I was, I guess, overly encumbered as an individual trying to play that game. Um, yeah, it, it was... Uh, a nice little kind of microcosm of, you know, previous Zelda dungeons just made a little bit more digestible, just put into little kind of bite-sized snippets. And overall, I, I felt that it was, uh, you know, not essential by any stretch of the imagination. But if you like Zelda dungeons, it's not a bad thing to just kind of tide you over for a weekend or something. And especially those um, tribute levels to previous Zelda games I thought were particularly well-envisioned. Again, absolutely not essential, but it, it's a nice thing to occupy some time if you really are into the whole Zelda dungeon experience. It's a nice little title. Um, as for Four Swords Adventures, there are certainly things about it that I do enjoy. I think it's kind of funny that it, at least in my perception of it, came across as like an equivalent of the uh, you know Pac-Man Championship Edition DX, which we uh, which I mentioned earlier, uh, one of those kind of like extreme versions of an older franchise, mm -hmm. something where everything is just dialed up to 11. And, and in a lot of instances, that can be fun. And um, it, it does a really nice job of mixing elements and referencing elements from the entire Zelda chronology. Um, and it introduces quite a few new mechanics, not all of them land, but uh, some of them are um are are quite fun and but overall i don't think that i really enjoyed my time with four swords adventures um as i mentioned previously the aesthetic experience didn't really do it for me and uh kind of what josh said earlier is that i probably should have been playing it in the proper resolution uh that would have smoothed over some of the some of the more kind of nitty-gritty aspects of what i didn't like about it but even on the like purely presentation format um what was you know inarguably on screen like i just don't care for the mixing of sprites and um yeah it's kind of shape tweened shapes uh things with the with the gradients just make it look a little bit cheaper and a little bit more dated than uh if they had just stuck with sprites overall but yeah ultimately the thing that brought it down for me was the pace of the game yeah every level in four swords anniversary edition was fairly short and fairly consumable and i left each stage thinking like okay yeah that was a nice little satisfying experience maybe i'll do another so many of the stages in four swords adventures 
took absorbent amounts of time that most of the time when I finished a level, I would just be absolutely exhausted, really grumpy, just thinking like, I don't want to play another level, but you know, due to trying to finish it for the podcast, like I would kind of challenge myself to do an entire world at a time. Uh, each world is only two or three levels, but you know, it just really wore on me. And I don't think that I ever, I mean, while there were moment to moment times when I would feel like, you know, fun things were happening on screen, I never ended a session of this game happy. <laughs> and I think that speaks to somewhat that I just, you know, the game overall didn't really pull through for me. <laughs> and it was always so, so demoralizing to have the game explain, there's going to be a few more things that I'm going to need you to collect before we can end this experience. And uh, oh, it did that yeah. a couple times. <laughs> and I just, you know... <sighs> I don't know. I, I just, I don't really want to go back to it. And I realize part of that is probably just me playing alone, but it's an exhausting game from, from my, you know, opinion. All right. Well, I played this in something approaching the optimum scenario, I suppose, uh, albeit shy to the tune of two human beings and two more GBAs and two more link cables. Uh, but I played this uh, sat on a friend's sofa with a good friend, with wine, with snacks, on a cathode ray tube television with two Game Boy Advances. Um, and yeah, in an environment full of uh, enthusiasm for uh, a 2D Zelda co-op experience. Um, I loved the aesthetic absolutely loved it um loved you know already loved the link to the past soundtrack and it was nice to hear it here in uh, in slightly rearranged form in in certain places um and i had a great time playing it from start to finish in multiple sessions over the course of a few months in 2005 uh that's four swords adventures obviously i'm speaking about my wish then would be for Grezzo to once again uh, do their work, their magic, take both the existing versions of the game, the anniversary and Four Swords Adventures, bring it all to NX, do a lovely HD version of the graphics for the new Nintendo console, tidy it up, smart it up so it does look good in high resolution. Remix it, you know, perhaps add a few bits, take a few bits away. Do what they've done with the 3D Ocarina and Majora's Mask games, sort of smooth a lot of corners and, and Wind Waker, as we discussed as well. There's there's a lot of subtle tweaks that could can be done even to a game that's only around, you know, a decade old to make it more palatable. Add the online component, obviously. Um, and maybe, may, who knows, maybe the next Nintendo console will even have some working voice communications. Um, because that, that sort of little bubble of time, 2005, local co-op, Couch-based wine and snacks, lovely idea, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, but there is a way that more people can can experience uh, the fun of a Nintendo co-op dungeon crawler, effectively, uh, in the future again. Looking at uh, eBay prices, the PAL version uh, comfortably fetches even uh, even for a version that's not in the big box with the cable around 50 quid um the ntsc version seems slightly cheaper uh for a boxed version with the cable you're looking at 70 75 pounds plus um 
you know, nice for collectors. I don't think I got anything like that when I sold my copy, but uh, uh, it would be nice, I think, um, for this game to be made available again or, or, or the ultimate HD version of it anyway. That's what I want. Yeah, so that's me concluding. We shall see if uh, the the response to Triforce Heroes was positive enough for a Nintendo to even consider considering continuing with um, <laughs> multi Zelda games, multi Link games, I should say. Um, we will uh, decide whether to cover Triforce Heroes in its own podcast. I guess we probably should, but if if we can't actually play it because it's too multiplayer focused, then um, that could be an issue. But that's uh, some time away yet. Next up for Zelda, it'll be the Minish Cap. But for now, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Ryan and Sean. And to tell you that next time in issue 236, if the names Dino Dini and Steve Screech mean anything to you, then hopefully so will our next podcast, which will be all about kickoff, kickoff two and player manager. (laughs) 